0: If you dream of changing the world, but you're not sure where to start, the Add Value Entrepreneurs Podcast will help you transform your life and business. This podcast is for entrepreneurs who want more freedom and fulfillment from their work so they can live the life that they desire. You deserve it, and it is possible. It's time for you to add value. Are you struggling with stress? Do you feel like life is out of control? Do you run out of time to get your to-do list tackled? Well, we have a special gift for you. Stop by AddValueMindset.com and claim your free gift today. I'm excited about today's guest, David Averin. David is one of the most in-demand customer experience speakers and consultants in the world today. David has shared his content-rich, entertaining, and actionable presentations with enthusiastic audiences across North America and in 24 countries around the world. David helps organizations better understand and connect with their changing customers and clients to help future-proof their businesses. David's insights have been featured on thousands of media outlets around the world. He's also the author of five books, including the acclaimed, It's Not Who You Know, It's Who Knows You, Why Customers Leave and How to Win Them Back, and his newest book, The Morning Huddle, powerful customer experience conversations to wake you up, shake you up, and win more business. David Avern and Robert talk about customer experience and how it's different than customer service. David shares incredible insights into the rules companies create that disempower their frontline workers from truly helping people. The world is changing and customer expectations are changing. Your business needs to understand and meet customers where they are and give them what they want. Well David, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm excited to have this conversation and I I know, I mean, how important the message you share is especially for entrepreneurs to consider the, the customer experience and customer journey.
1: Yeah, you know what? I'm, first of all, thank you for having me on. It's nice to see you again. We, uh, for those who are watching or listening, we were at a, a conference together um, with, with Achieve and uh, had a great opportunity to have a conversation and you had a chance to see me do what I do, which is speak at conferences and consult with organizations to um, help them understand uh, a whole new generation of, of customers and client expectations. And when I say whole new generation, I don't mean millennials. I mean all of us, right? <laughs> all of our all of our expectations have changed. And if if COVID, you know, taught us anything, and it taught us a lot of things, was that that in many ways it accelerated what has long been predicted about how we're going to do business and um, this whole new generation of conveniences. And so that's what I work with organizations to help them future proof their business by becoming ridiculously easy to do business with.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and if you don't, you won't, you won't exist. I think is, is, is the yeah. real reality of it.
1: Well, and, and look at how many, how many well-known brands um, have fallen by the wayside for no other reason. than they just didn't recognize the changes that were happening around them. Um, good businesses doing good business, continuing to do good business, but we changed.
0: Absolutely. Right? Well, your, your the customers. brand I thought that the brand I always thought that should have, should have made this transition that the, the the easiest was Sears, right? The 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 mother right. of all catalog companies. They, they right. already had a catalog. They already had a system for people to order things and and mail them to you. And yet they they didn't transition to this techno- technological space. And and of course now they no longer exist. And it's like wow. Yeah. Well, just, and
1: and it, in some ways, it was just a lack of refreshing the brand. Um, you look at some of these sort of older brands i mean there's some older brands that are, that are doing very well today general electric or or things like that or mcdonald's but um the ones that are sort of seen as that old tire they didn't refresh the physical locations they didn't refresh their process i mean i remember as a kid the uh, getting that christmas wish book was the biggest deal of the year when um, when the christmas catalog came for them but you think about how many other brands like montgomery ward or oldsmobile i remember when they they tried to counter the perception in their in their ads when they would go, it's not your father's Oldsmobile. Well, yes, it was. Kind actually. of was. Yeah. <laughs> and and there some of these brands, nobody bought them, right? Nobody saw it. it. It was cheaper to actually start something new than to try and change your perception of something that was old and tired. Hmm. And, and there's a lot of psychology in that. I mean, it's a lot easier to form an impression than to change an impression. That's why companies that go through challenges or scandals. Um, it's a lot of work to overcome all of that.
0: Oh, absolutely. All right. Before we go too far, I want you to share yes. your your own entrepreneurial journey and what's led you down this path to, to being a professional consultant speaker. And, and of course, you know, customer experience trainer. Ultimately. Yeah.
1: yeah. Well, I, I, like many people, I started off as a child. Um, I was very young. It's a good,
0: it's a good place Early to start.
1: Very young. <laughs> when I started, I'm um, very young. No, I um, uh, I spent most of my career in marketing, in marketing and branding. I, I had worked for uh, hospital and healthcare systems. Uh, I went on my own in 1995 and yes, I am that old um, and worked with a lot of big national brands and helped launch uh, restaurants across the country, did some work with Boston Market and some others as well. And <clears throat> spent most of my career helping organizations craft the more effective words to describe what they do. My early career was all in marketing and branding. How do we talk about ourselves in a way that truly differentiates? You know, everybody loves to talk about their quality and commitment and caring and trust in people and ask them, you know, what's your difference? For us, it's about the people, really. For, for everybody else it's about what crustaceans uh, <laughs> or, or here's a i mean but it was such pedestrian language that kind of worked back then you know and quality is job one or uh, uh, the the companies that would would talk about uh, such basic things like you know financial institutions saying honesty integrity and trust right at first national we i mean you're literally telling people you're not going to cheat them And there was a time probably in the 60s and 70s when that kind of an approach worked, right? Anybody who's in food service, you know, they only start, we start with the freshest ingredients. You're serving me food. What's the alternative there? You know, we use nearly expired ingredients, but we pass the savings on to you. Um, And that was my early career. And I spent a lot of time helping organizations craft words that were more effective, that were more evocative, that were more descriptive. But I saw a significant change happening. Um, probably six or seven years ago. And the shift was from uh, having a a lot of value in what we said about ourselves to much more value in what other people say about us. Mm. It's not that what we say about ourselves is unimportant. It's just not as important today as what other people say. I mean, that's social proof because we have so many vehicles and venues to communicate, to complain, to... I mean, you're not going to go to a movie without checking Rotten Tomatoes. It uh, doesn't mean that that's going to be the final decision, but it's an influence, right? You're going to go to Yelp. You're going to go to TripAdvisor and Rotten Tomatoes and Glassdoor. Social proof today carries tremendous weight. Um, and so for me, it was a big shift. I had spent a lot of years working with organizations, uh, speaking. That's, that's my primary job. I'm a keynote speaker and consultant. I've been doing that for over 20 years. Um, and I saw a big shift in the clients I was working for. And so I made a shift in my own business. So I no longer talk marketing and branding. I mean, there's an element of it, but I've come to recognize that the customer experience, what we experience in doing business with an organization is the primary driver today. Um, Convenient is more uh, persuasive than quality. Mm -hmm. Not that quality is unimportant, but when companies talk about, for us, it's all about the quality. Or, Or here's what I get. So I was speaking at a conference and the CEO spoke before me and did a big state of the company. And he says, he gives the whole state of the, of the company at the very end. He says, and remember, at the end of the day, we are going to win on quality. At the end of the day, it is about quality. And oh, and they're clapping and cheering. And I thought, oh my gosh, I could not disagree more.
0: <laughs> I'm going to get on stage and get fired.
1: <laughs> yeah. I thought, and, I, and I had that voice in my head, like, do I say it? Do I contradict him? Because here's the reality. Quality is assumed today. Quality is, it's not unimportant. It's incredibly important, but it's not at the end of the day. It's at the beginning of the day. Quality is the entry fee. Quality gives you permission to do business in the marketplace. Cause if you weren't good marketplace, will figure it out pretty quickly. We have so many mechanisms for right for complaining or outing companies. So my message today is, is that at the beginning of the day, it's about quality. That's the foundation. But at the end of the day, Success is about competitive advantage. It's not what do you do well? What do you do better than others who do it well? And there's been this great sort of equal equalization, um, commoditization of, of so many industries, industry, industries. Everybody's good or at least good enough, right? And sometimes good enough at a better price point is a better choice, but the bad players get weeded out. So when companies talk about quality and commitment and caring and trust in people, here's what the research shows today. Customers are prioritizing speed, speed of service, speed of response, speed of access, speed of information, not just delivery, but that's part of it. Um, Speed, uh, flexibility, accommodation, which is different than flexibility, um, and, and convenience. Today, convenient trumps quality in terms of our decision-making process. We assume everybody's good. Okay, who can get it to me faster? Absolutely. Um, I saw something on TV um, and this is sort of big in the news and I know your podcast is pretty evergreen. So when they're, when we're watching this, a lot, a lot in the news about Bed Bath & Beyond. Mm-hmm. And they've been struggling of late. Last couple of quarters, so they've been down. But a couple of weeks ago, they had one of their representatives on TV And she was talking about that they had two down quarters. And she said, we had had challenges. She was explaining it, right? She says, we've had challenges with supply chain. There were certain items customers couldn't get. And I looked at my wife and I said, that is garbage. They're not down because people couldn't find things. They're down because people aren't going to Bed Bath & Beyond. They're sitting in their living room and they're going on Amazon and they're getting it delivered next day or same day. Companies are scrambling to figure out how do we compete in a world of profound convenience? And so there's a long answer to a short question, which is this sort of my career. Um, I, I did marketing branding most of my career. Um, I've spoken and consulted and I still do it to an extent, but I've made a wholesale shift because I've come to recognize that companies that are easy to do business with uh, have a distinct competitive advantage. Uh, I help organizations future-proof their business. And to clarify one thing, I don't talk about customer service and people oftentimes equate or conflate the two Service is what we deliver. I mean, we've been talking about it for 40 years. If people don't know how to smile and be nice to people, you've got bigger issues. <laughs> it's about what do we experience as, as customers? How complex is your process? How frustrating, how, how rigid are you as a business owner, or entrepreneur? Uh, how 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 maddening or or time delayed is something that seems fairly straightforward to us, and so well, that's what I help organizations do.
0: Yeah, uh, and I know the one example that, that not only did you share at at the conference that we spoke, but it, the people in the room experienced right. The conference goes, you know, through through the day, and people need to check out, and and the number of people that. Came up to you, saying, "Oh yeah, you they wouldn't believe che- they wouldn't they wouldn't let me check out late because too too many people <laughs> had asked to check out late."
1: Yeah, and- it was a great, a great example. Yeah, we were at the hotel at this hotel where the conference was, and I had told a story about about wanting to check out early uh, or do a late checkout at of my hotel, and the scenario that I shared about them being rigid of saying no late checkouts uh, was was um, echoed. By so many people at the conference who came up to me afterwards and go, I tried to do the same thing, and they said, "No, no, too many people want to do it." So, so in that case, let's let nobody do it. Let's treat everybody like children. (laughs) You know, it's like we're the ones spending money.
0: And and the challenge is you mentioned it. How rigid? How rigid are your guidelines? How rigid are your rules? And that's where the customer service piece of this really happens. Is are you empowering your front facing employees to make decisions? (laughs)
1: Yeah. And it's scary, but I'll tell you, Robert, it's scary for companies to let people make decisions. And I get that because they might make a wrong decision, but we spend most of our time in training of helping people understand the rules, right? Our, our employees, here's our guidelines, here's our policies. Um, and I would love to see them spend some time helping their, their employees understand what a good decision looks like within the context of their business model. Right. So when somebody has an outlier, somebody has a special request, which at some point we all do. Sure. Right. We all we all don't fit in a box. I mean, companies love to create this customer journey that is predictable. Every step, here's how they're gonna learn about us and reach out and communicate and buy and customize and deliver and pay and follow up, and all of that works. Right. We design our customer journey because we want some predictability. I get this. This is a what's an entrepreneur's journey. Right, we gotta we gotta figure out how are people gonna do business with us, how are we gonna make money? Because if we can have a greater level of predictability of our customers' journey, then we can have predictability of sales and revenue and cash flow, and we can plan for that. Uh, we can budget for that. The problem is your customers have never read your employee manual. <laughs> they don't they know don't how know much the rules. they don't know the rules, but 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 companies are very good at quoting their rules. Um and I remember I was, I was talking to a, um, somebody from a, one of the cable companies um, for a, some wireless high-speed thing for my office. And I tried to explain it, and they just kept jumping in and saying, well, here's where we, we can't guarantee. And I said, no, 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 but that's not my issue. And I started talking, and they started talking again, right? And saying, but no, but here's a but," and I said, I promise you the question I have to ask you is more important than the script you want to read. Please listen to me. No, understand I teach this. So I have enough of those things in my back pocket. I can, I pull out. but yeah, your example was a really good one is I gave an example of, of a very rigid situation where I needed a late checkout and they just said, no, we're not letting anybody check out early. Um, and the amount of people that came up said, I just experienced the same thing and it's maddening. Um, but in that situation, I just, I just said to the young woman, okay, if I can't get a late checkout, I'm just not going to check out at all. So I paid for the, I'll, if you're going to charge me for another day, I'll keep the room And, uh, but now you don't have a room for that conference attendee you were trying to get in real quickly. Is that the outcome you were looking for? And she's like, uh, uh, goes in the back (laughs) room. Um, One o'clock would be fine. Yeah, you think? (laughs) And and the problem is so many of the frontline people, it's not their fault. right? There's just lazy managers of just saying, let's just just punish everybody because God forbid, somebody might actually want um, a unique scenario or some measure of flexibility. Well, and God and, forbid somebody's trying to go around your system.
0: And clearly, the, their cleaning crew, no matter how large, can't clean a hundred rooms at once.
1: Not at the same time, no. <laughs> but, it, but it's it's a good example. It's pretty indicative of what we're seeing from a lot of people. People who say, I mean, for your listeners and viewers, if you ever thought like I feel like I felt like I was talking to a brick wall, you were. <laughs> you were. right because
0: because they have a script they've been taught a certain way to deal with this and this is the answer the only answer they're allowed to give and so that's what they're left with and and now obviously over the last 3 months the airlines are are falling into the same into the same oh. boat and they have no they have no customer service they have no real answers they're not being honest and everybody knows they're not being honest and and they're they're just making themselves look worse <laughs> Because, because of the way they're they're people. in
1: constant crisis mode, which which is only exacerbated by the fact that their their flyers, their their customers are also in crisis mode. Um, We're the point because I travel pretty extensively when there's not a pandemic. I, I travel and speak at conferences. Um, I have 21 flights in the next five weeks, but I'm we are as a team, my staff, we sit down and we look at every scenario about how do we, which ones do we double book flights. In case something happens, I used to fly out towards the end of the day, the day before a speaking presentation, because I want to spend time with my kids. Now I take the first flight out the day before, because mm. if it canceled, it goes to the next. But here's, here's the reality. I mean, if you look more broadly, um, there's this interesting dichotomy. On one hand, service is pretty terrible. Um, people are struggling with staffing shortages. Um, I get that. It's a, it's, a, it's a big challenge for business owners. It's challenge with supply chain. They got customers who are frustrated because something is delayed for months because there's a ship that's stuck offshore, and on the other end, there's this incredible new uh, menu of conveniences that we never had before. I mean, I have my groceries delivered. I would never have thought that that would be something reasonable for me to do. We just sit on the on the couch, my wife and I. And we go in the with the iPad. We just choose all the things that we want, And An hour later, it's on our front doorstep. It's awesome,
0: and, and now now the Walmart and the grocery store are offering memberships. And if you join yeah. the membership, the deliveries part of that that package, and you can have you know you can have multiple deliveries <laughs> in the same day if you need them.
1: Yeah, it, there's ridiculous conveniences. Uh, okay, I'm I'm not apologizing for it, <laughs> um, but but part of my message for for business owners, professionals, entrepreneurs, and others is recognize what's changed for us um i ask audiences all the time i say anybody notice that your customers and clients are a little more impatient a little more demanding and they all give you the look like welcome to my life right well we all are Oh, right
0: absolutely i i've had amazon not just millennials since, since amazon prime started and amazon prime has set me up to expect my deliveries in two days and if I order from anywhere else but Amazon in two days, I'm like, "Where is it? They haven't even shipped it yet. Like, what's going on? Why hasn't it Why hasn't it left their their warehouse? They haven't even printed a label yet. Like that level of frustration because Amazon has set a standard, and now everybody else in the marketplace is competing against that that standard of convenience.
1: Yeah, well, and here's what's interesting about that. You're you're exactly right. Is we used to have to be one of the best within our category. Right. I'm a keynote speaker. I've got to be one of the best keynote speakers on my subject, right, to, to, to get the good gigs. Best chiropractor against all the other chiropractors. Well, for the first time ever, ever, we are being compared against industries that have nothing to do with us. Have nothing to do with us. You know, I mean, if you're, you need something for, for your car or some part for whatever, and, and, and your mechanics across town and say, well, I can do it on Wednesday. Well, Amazon can do it same day. It's like, well, we're not Amazon. Okay, so but it's but it's making organizations scramble to really recognize where where they can compete. Um, you can lament all you want. You can you can complain about Amazon. I was in I was in London, and the uh, the the taxi drivers were just up in arms about Uber. They called it Uber. He's already oh, a freaky Uber. We don't have this. <laughs> and my wife and are just laughing. are in the back of this really cool taxi, but you can, you can push for regulations to keep out disruption, but almost every disruption is just a better way of doing what we used to do. And I think a better answer is, is to, to get better at what you do. I mean, the taxi, taxis could have a long time ago had an app. It made it really easy to, uh, you know, instead of flagging them down, instead of just trying to do, I like when you go to Las Vegas and you fly into Las Vegas, if you want a taxi, you walk out the door. But if you want to get an Uber, you got to go up the escalator, across the way, into the parking garage, down to a different level, and across the other side. Because the unions—and um, I'm not anti-union. Don't don't get on me about that. Whoever your listeners um, have, <laughs> pushed, have pushed to, to make the uh, rideshare apps really, really inconvenient—is that the reason that we should be? In, in taxis because you've artificially made the better choice inconvenient. How about we all just get better at what we do? Ooh. And I, for me, it's an exciting, it's an exciting time. I think the innovations are, are really interesting. Uh, there's a whole new generation of entrepreneurs who are rethinking how do we solve problems? You know, traditionally companies have every iteration of their product or service is a little bit better, right? (laughs) They want to be a little bit, we're uh, on the calendar here in about a week or so, the new uh, iPhones are going to come out and within two months, Google will, will replicate and surpass that. And the next year it'll be a little bit better. The disruption is different. The disruption asks a more basic question, which is, is that how we should do it at all? Right. If we were going to create a communication device in 2022 or 2023, what might that look like? And so for me, it's, it's super exciting. There's a whole new generation of, of um, innovations and conveniences coming from young minds who are just rethinking everything.
0: Well, I mean, and there's obviously there's so many things now that are, that are more convenient, right? And, and, and I talk about it all the time. There there's a price for convenience. And I think one of the areas that, that we haven't considered, I just saw a video about the, the plastic water bottles and the idea that bottled water is somehow better than tap water. All of a sudden, right. you and I grew up drinking out of a hose in the front yard. we right? did. <laughs> and it, and it, we you know we're still here, um, but this convenience of these of these bottled waters that we're paying extra for, we're wrapping in plastic, and and actually hurting our planet because of right. because of convenience. And I think our culture, at least in the United States. Um, fast food is more convenient. One of my guests uh, the other day was is working in a in a city in Oklahoma to create healthy food options because sure. in this little town, there's this little area. There's 15 fast food stores and no convenient healthy food options. Yeah, and, yeah. And, they call, they the call them what do they
1: call them? Food deserts. Yeah, exactly. Food community. desert, and
0: they're they're yeah. sacrificing health for convenience, and okay. and at some point. Somebody's got to innovate a way to make health convenient, <laughs> but we don't well, think yeah, that but way. I, but,
1: I'm, but I'm very much a free market economist, and I oh, and I, I, know I
0: agree I some I agree.
1: Of these communities are incredibly underserved. Somebody needs to be creative and find an economic model that works. Well, and um, that's what
0: she's she's done. Yeah, she's created a grocery it. store that that's going that they put into this, and, and what the grocery store can do is is support farmers, and they're they're creating. Um, some kind of stand up farming, like they're, they're growing vegetables on poles or, and, and stuff, but it's, it's interesting how I agree <laughs> the free market. I think the free market, if left alone, will create the better solutions. Yeah. <laughs> but like well, you said I, that,
1: But, and I do think that the government has a role to play to support those kinds of innovative things until it becomes profitable, whether it's renewable energy and others as well. But I think if there is a, um, to me, there's so much argument, and I don't mean to get divisive about, about what is America and what makes America great. You know what I think makes America great is is ingenuity mm. and innovation um, and, and less about hearkening back to whatever. I mean, the thing that really built this country is people with a dream and an education and an idea. Now we got to get government out of the way to allow them to to do the work that they're going to do. But I, I have such trust in in the innovation of people, I think once a a, a need becomes profound enough, somebody's going to go in there and figure out how to make money doing it. And so um, I, I'm excited. I'm excited about about so many of the changes and innovations. Um, some people have called it the new normal or the new next. Uh, I heard somebody call it the touch free tomorrow. <laughs> you know some of those things. Um, but then also it can it can be an excuse and I rail against this as well. In some ways, you'll see these wonderful conveniences. I love uh, depositing a check with my phone and not having to go to the bank when my daughter's off at college and she needs money and she just texts me. Uh, her ringtone is a, is a cash register sound, by the way. Nice. <laughs> true story. <laughs> it, it's
0: it's a very true. <laughs>
1: yeah, and I just send her money, so I love that convenience. But on the other hand, companies can use those kinds of conveniences as an excuse as a long-term excuse, my wife and I were in, in um, Nashville about two weeks ago for an event. And we're at this very nice restaurant with some colleagues. And <clears throat> we were sitting there finally, I said, can we get menus please? And the waiter pointed to the QR code. And I said, I got that, but I'm almost 59 years old. I, I can't read stuff on my phone. Could you have a, a, an actual menu? They didn't. And they said, For us, we just use the QR code. It works really well during COVID. And we we recognize that we can update menu items and blah. And I I looked at him. It's not his fault, but I teach this, of course. And (laughs) I said, well, it's easier for you. And it's more convenient for you. But I'm the one who's about to pay for a really nice dinner. And I can't read this. Is there an option? There was no option. Hmm. And that's where the pendulum swings too far. Um, when you go in, it's the only option when I, when I, when I pull into, I <clears throat> went shopping, we had three teens home during, during COVID. We we're new empty nesters, but, um, went to, we have a big Walmart where we are and I'm grocery shopping and literally overflowing cart <clears throat> and I get to the front and the manager tries to direct me to self-checkout and I'm like, no, you don't understand. I'm really bad at this. And, and I, I was going to go park in the employee parking. Cause I figure if I'm going to do the work then at least I get that. I don't remember getting a a 1099 from Walmart for the work that I did. Um, And I'm not being demeaning, I'm terrible at self-checkout. And what's gonna take me 45 minutes, a train checker could do in in four, right? But they say, oh no, but we give you a choice. It's not a choice. You got one staff checkout lane with nine carts waiting in line and 27 self-checkout. It's gone too far. It's yeah. and, and listen, what does Walmart need to do? Listen to me. Um, their bean counters have made the calculus that we're gonna make people do the work themselves. My wife loves self-checkout, I hate it. Give us an honest choice. Instead well, it just speech,
0: depends too, right? Like, there's having the option. I think I think our grocery store here handles it much better, has both options, and and it's if it's my grocery if my cart's overflowing, I'm absolutely letting a checker do it because. Like you said, they do it so much faster, and I can well, bag it, it with all the
1: fruits I'm, I'm, I'm and vegetables. <laughs> you look that stuff up.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly, and they know it all. So I think our grocery cart, grocery store, does a pretty good job. Although they just opened two brand new full full line self checkout, like it's it's a whole big conveyor belt and and leads it to to bagging. And my wife loves it. I I think we will be right back after this short break. This episode is sponsored by Perfect Publishing, a different approach to publishing a book. Perfect Publishing carefully chooses heroes of hope who exemplify living a life they created through faith, hope, patience, and persistence. No matter what page you open to in this mini cube of hope, you will find a leader with a big heart. You will see you are not alone. The authors may share similar challenges that only hope and action could resolve. Get your free ebook at getadoseofhope.com. Welcome back. Let's get back to more greatness. One of the things you, you mentioned earlier on when you were talking about um, brands refreshing and, and you know making that change and updating, and you mentioned McDonald's, and my wife and I were just talking about this. On our corner, there's a McDonald's and there's a Burger King, and we've lived here for 15 years, and the McDonald's has been remodeled four times, and they're just now <laughs> remodeling the Burger King and tearing tearing out that old and and we both comment all the time about I don't know how they stay open. There's like two two people there and, and one of them right. works there. <laughs> and, and and it's been that way the entire time we've lived here, but that that idea of of refreshing, like the Chick-fil-A's only been here 10 years, just down the street, and they they've just completely tore it apart and rebuilt a new a new yeah. building on a brand on a brand new building, as far as you know, 10 years, that's not very long at all. But that brand refresh is so valuable because of the message that it sends. And yeah. you know, I think McDonald's has done that corporate wide, but other companies are figuring that out.
1: But I think it's also a good metaphor for every business model. It's refreshing your approach and your product mix and the services and how you communicate. And, and we see this with so many, listen, I, I don't expect that I can get my hair cut at four o'clock in the morning, but I certainly expect that I can make an appointment to do so without talking to a person, Mm. right? I should be able to go online and select. Um, So many business owners and especially family owned businesses, this is a unique dynamic. They're so enamored with the history. They're so enamored with the fact, Oh, people know us. They we've been here for 50 years. Well, 60% of the people locally haven't even been lived where, where you are For 10 years. They came from somewhere else. And so complacency is a real challenge. And as you had said before, companies aren't going to survive or they're going to be greatly diminished because there's somebody who's young and hungry behind them or disruptive or doing it differently. So I love the idea of sort of future-proofing your business of just taking a step back and say, if we were going to start this today, how would we do it differently? Right? Because that's what anybody else can do somebody else comes new to your market, unless you have a business model with a a significant barrier to entry. Like if you're an automaker and not everybody can do that, but most businesses, especially small businesses aren't. And so when we, it's one of the exercises that I do when I go and work with companies and organizations, um, one of the things that, that I often do is do that exercise of saying, imagine you left your company today. You left on really good terms, they asked everybody to come to the break room, and they said surprise, and they got cupcakes, and they thank you for your service. And you go and you opened up a competing business two weeks later, across town, fully funded, but you're not bound by any legacy policies or symptoms or um, or systems or uh, or or people or leases or anything like that, right? You got to start from scratch, but you know everything that you know. And if you were going to start that same business today what would you do differently? Right. And and it elicits some phenomenal conversations and great ideas. I probably wouldn't do this or I would, I would, I would um, outsource this part of it. Or I I mean, all of those things, I would just focus on this part, which is really our core competency. Uh, I probably wouldn't um, have as big a physical location because that's a big rent every month because a third of our people could work virtually. Well, new players in the marketplace, new competitors, they get to start from scratch and they come in and they beat you. So when we do that exercise, oftentimes with with leaders of organizations, I say, let's do it to ourselves. Let's fix our problems before somebody else comes in Um, because when it happens to you, we call that disruption, right? But when we drive the change internally, we just call it innovation. It's the same thing, right? Disruption happens to you, innovation is driven by us. And so that's part of my message is just really challenging organizations, refresh, rethink, reconsider um take a step back um you may have a business model and, and i say this to entrepreneurs all the time if you have a business model 10 20 30 years old and processes and systems and products that were created back then and it works it's always worked think how much we have changed the buyers in the last five years
0: hmm.
1: how Plus we expect <laughs> to yeah expect how we expect to communicate um how we expect to uh, uh, visibility into your process. If somebody has to call you and ask what the status of their order is, you're already losing.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Well, and, right? and thinking about talking with leadership and having leadership step step back. What about leadership asking the front line, the people that are dealing with customers? What What would you change? What would you do differently as the front line person, the person representing our company to the public?
1: Hundred percent.
0: Differently. And, and and what would that look like I think it's a challenge for entrepreneurs especially solopreneurs small businesses to even to, to sometimes take the time to figure out what is their customer journey what is their customer experience and how can we how can we make it easier how can we make it one click instead of 10 on your website how can we hundred
1: percent yes <laughs> yes 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 but here's the thing Robert people are they're just busy I mean we're doing the work right and I've heard speakers say, you don't care about this. You don't care about, ref- are you kidding? Everybody cares. I don't, I don't demean entrepreneurs and others. Everybody's working so hard. Well, it's
0: just like the parent, the parent that's doesn't treat their kids the best, but they're working with the best tools that they have. And I think the same thing for entrepreneurs They're they're working with the very best that they have. They've just hit their limit and, and they don't either. They don't have time to even consider this as an option or, or they're just so busy that it's like, I'd love to do
1: that. They fall back on what works. Right. Right. But what worked five years ago, in some cases, in some cases it works just fine. I mean, it will for a long time. There's a lot of traditional business practices that are pretty universal, but some of the experiential things are the things that have changed. That's where I focus my business. And to be clear, I, I have so many colleagues and others, great, very smart people who talk about how do we create wow experiences? And I don't think most businesses lend themselves to wow experiences. I think it's really easy to get on stage or in a book and talk about Zappos or talk about Amazon or talk about Apple. Most of us are not those. If you're selling a little electronic part that goes into a bigger electronic part that goes into an automotive dashboard, there's not a lot of wow in that. But it doesn't mean, you know what wow is? Wow is is being able to get information really quickly. Wow is being able to make any minor changes on your cell phone. Wow is being able to click a thing and knowing exactly where it is in the process so you know what time it's going to be delivered. So when you have four other subs that you have to schedule around the installation of that, right? That's why I'm just, I'm a big believer that today, that real competitive advantage is being ridiculously easy to do business with. Uh, There's companies who are just, have phenomenal products and services. And pardon my language, they're just a pain in the ass to work with. Um, well,
0: and they probably won't like, last because somebody's going to come up that does it a little yeah. nicer and does it with a better attitude and makes it easier for the customer. But it's it's interesting how companies are stuck on their systems, their processes, their their tradition. And having come from the church background, we see that all the time, right? I remember... Sure. I remember one of my early—I was—I was interning and early elder meeting, and one of the elders was saying, "If the drums are ever on stage, that's letting Satan right into the church." <laughs> and now, of course, the majority of you know worship music includes drums and drum sets, and right. but it's like it's that there's just this blindness to innovation <laughs> and, and right. change. And and, and and
1: I think that I don't question people's intent. I don't question their work ethic. I just don't. I think people are working so hard to support their families and others as well. But when things change, it's scary. Sure. And what's safe is what's worked, what always works. That's, that's what goes back to the old parable of who moved the cheese, right? right. Or who moved my cheese? Um, and, it, and it holds true in so many ways. Now, there's other industries that... <clears throat> You know, even if your manufacturing processes stay the same, even if the content of your council stays the same or is universal or timeless, how people engage with you has changed, how people schedule with you, uh, how, how your, your process is delivered or build or, or customized. That's where the opportunity is. And, and I had to be really careful when I first started talking about this, because my, when I wrote the book, um, which is right behind me here, called Why Customers Leave and How to Win Them Back. It started off just as a rant, like 24 (laughs) different things that just frustrated the heck out of me. And I'm talking to my wife going, God, I hope this this resonates with other people because she's an angel. I mean, my wife is an angel. Nothing, she's fine. I I go off on a rant about something. Oh, I think it's fine. I'm like, no, it's not fine. (laughs) I'm, I'm the kind, I'll tell you a funny story. Um, this is this is how difficult I am to work with uh, or live with. Um, I went to the grocery store and I'm struggling through the the self-checker, and I'm trying to do the wand and it's not working. And then it says, you know, unexpected item in the bagging area. Please wait for. And I'm looking around. and I can't find anybody. And I see some staff in the in the in the distance. And I grab the little price gun. and I start shooting people, and they're kind of just staring at me blankly. And I shoot other people. And I put my hands up like anybody. Can I get some help? And so I go home and. and And my wife says, do you need help bringing in the groceries? And I said, no, I don't have them. She goes, I thought you went to the store. I said, I did. She (laughs) said, where are the groceries? I said, they're still there at self-checkout. She says, did you just leave? And I said, halfway. I got so frustrated. Now, of course, she would vary. She's a sweetheart. She would just gone through and scanned everything and waited for help. I was just so frustrated. I literally left. I left my food. I left the stuff because anyway. Like I said, I'm, I'm a little bit of a rant. So when I was writing the book, um, I, she was such a great sounding board for me. She says, you need to be more than just diagnostic. You need to be prescriptive. And my wife has a Ooh. master's in psychology. She says, don't just tell them what they've done wrong. Tell them or suggest how to do it Right. And that has so made such a difference in my presentation and my counsel. The first part is very funny. I go on these rants and you were there and I talk about the things that are frustrating. But I think what's really important is saying, here's how to get better. Here's how to look at it. Because I'm very optimistic. Um, I think there's so many great opportunities for companies that are paying attention um, to do this better. So at the end of every chapter, it says, I go on a little bit of rant about something that companies think works. But here's in the very first part, it says, here's why here's why you do it. Right, Tell them, I understand why you have the policy. Here's why you do it, but here's here's why we hate it, and here's a better choice, or here's a better uh, alternative. And so it's letting them off the hook. Nobody's trying to frustrate their customers. They're trying to do good business, but they're trying to have predictable business. The problem is, Robert, how many of your friends are the same? <laughs> None. Let's see. Uh, let me count five. Three, three, the five. None. <laughs> yeah. Yep. None. None. And so that's so, that's the that's the, uh, the quandary, uh, the the um, um, the challenge that companies have right now, is well, how to predictability.
0: I think you know you mentioned the self checkout, and and everybody kind of said the same thing about the McDonald's. Um, we, we hang out at McDonald's, and they've got these new kiosks, and 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 an app, and and they're like you know. Well, I know i to order it myself and, you know, I should get I should get paid for placing my own order, get a discount. But when I talked to the franchise owner, he actually said, "We actually employ more people in production because we have four different ways for people to order food now." Wow. We're actually producing, we're actually producing more than than we were before. Right. And so nobody's are guessing we'll
1: get better at it. Yeah, they, they're guessing we'll get better over time.
0: And, and of course, they, they know, they, they incentivize using the app, you get, you get great deals if you use the app, you get deals if you use the kiosk, and you still can have a human being do it at most McDonald's. Sometimes the McDonald's, they get so busy in their drive-thru, they ignore oh. the human element, but but they've the created is- four convenient options. To I love order, it. Order your food, and now, of course, with covid they had, we've added delivery and now we've added here, pick it up, pick it up outside, pick it up in the drive-thru yeah. or, you know, walk in and pick it up. <laughs> and, and I think it's, it's crazy. You know, it, it's, they are being ridiculously easy to work with because they've created all the options and not just said, Hey, you have to use this, this one. Particular and, that's, option.
1: and that's the key. Um, And I'm not naive. I know that, that, that self-service is, is here to stay. I know that chat bots, um, which is short for robot, by the way, is, is <laughs> right. going to overtake you know, live person chat. Just give us an off-ramp. Give us an off-ramp to a real person. But McDonald's is, is beyond brilliant in leading the way. I saw an interview with the CEO. It was probably 10 years ago. And it was something mm-hmm. along the lines of that 98% of the population in the industrialized world lives within three miles of a McDonald's. And he saw the future being, and this is pre-COVID, the future being um, delivery. Um, but then, of course, it brings up a whole another level of challenges, which is the last mile. Right. Which is great products and services, but they're not responsible for the last mile. That's Uber Eats and that's DoorDash and that's Postmates and all those as well. But once again, wonderful new conveniences. So... Well, and those know,
0: companies I, are all still figuring it out, too, because not one of those companies is profitable yet.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
0: so, so they're even in the midst of COVID, which which saved most of those companies, most likely. But the reality is they're still not profitable as corporations. And and no. they still they're still figuring out this employee model and 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 how they're gonna how they're gonna compensate and gas prices going up. And so they're all facing some innovation challenges in the midst of their their growth. <laughs>
1: yeah. I love innovation challenges. That just means we get better. And in Absolutely. almost every, every innovation we win as consumers.
0: Ooh, absolutely. Everything,
1: everything that's gone by the wayside, you know, we can lament the loss of Toys R Us and then nostalgia, but do you, do you struggle to find toys today? Is it nope. really hard to find toys? Nope, not at all. Nope. <laughs> you know, it's,
0: it's hard to put my hands on one and touch it before I order it. But
1: <laughs> Yeah. Somebody was saying that they really miss going to Blockbuster and kind of staring at the wall and making a selection. I'm like, I don't. <laughs> nope. Right? I don't if you, I don't
0: even miss I don't even miss Netflix coming in my mailbox and having to walk to the mailbox to get I ask,
1: the DVD out. I, I love playing the stuff on I have a 19-year-old son. He's my youngest. We just took him to to college. Our we're new mm-hmm. empty nesters. And um I love sort of playing the game of like, do you re, do you know what this is? And <laughs> so I have like a t shirt with the uh with the symbol for the old 45 record, the little insert, you know, adapter, the little thing. I said, What's that? He says a fidget spinner. I said, No. You know, and he doesn't know what these things are. And so I, I said, what does this phrase mean to you? Be kind, rewind.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> right? And we laugh because, of course, that's when you bring back the, the video cassette of Blockbuster. But there were so many things. I remember he was, he was in my office. And, and if you look behind me, I have some really cool old, um, I have an old typewriter and I have old microphones and kind of old media symbols. So I had this old typewriter right behind me in my office. And he was, oh, God, he was probably six or seven. And he's in there just playing on it one day and typing on it. And he says, how do you know, where's the screen? How do you know what you're typing? <laughs> and I said, it's, it doesn't have a screen. You put paper on a him where well, you put paper in there. In fact, he goes, it's a printer? <laughs> right? <laughs> they would just have no idea. I, I was at some baby boomer store um, out in Washington, D.C. It was literally called like a baby boomer store. And I got an Etch-A-Sketch, which, nice. which I would, listen, I was pretty good just saying. And I gave it to him and he was probably, I don't know, eight or nine. And he takes it and he's turning it over and turning it over and turning it over. I said, what are you doing? He says, where is the? Where do you turn it on? <laughs> and I said, dude, you, you don't turn, you don't turn it on. And he's like, okay, this is lame. <laughs> um, but think about it for the rest of us, if, if somebody, so here we are, as we record this right now, it's 2022. So imagine in 1972, 50 years ago, some random guy was caught up in some temporal vortex and, and spinning around. And all of a sudden he's magically flung into today, right? He would starve to death. He, was, he, would have no idea, he wouldn't have no idea how to make a phone call, how to pay for something, how to buy something. Uh, he, he wouldn't know what emojis were or the internet or the world has changed. And oh
0: absolutely
1: i think it's incredibly exciting but so many businesses are dragging their feet right and and i like to say if, if necessity is the mother of invention right the people somebody will find some way to make money then complacency is the father of disruption right the more people are complacent the more somebody's going to come in and rock their world and they're going to scramble to catch up Hmm. So
0: true. Well, and, and I think, I think that's, I mean, I help entrepreneurs with mindset and, and, and Mm -hmm. I think our cultural mindset is geared. I mean, Matt, our nature goes towards complacency, right? Comfort change change is dangerous. Comfort is safe. And so sitting on the couch, having my beer, going to bed, waking up next morning, going to work, having my coffee, going home, having my dinner and a beer, going to bed, right? So, so we create this safe cycle and and they're living by default. They're living in that complacency space. And so I think when you get a group of humans in a company, the same natural thing happens unless, unless you're intentional, right? Unless you're living intentionally with goals for your physical fitness, with goals for your mind, with goals for your activity, you will, you will fall back to that, that complacency. And I think for people and for companies, it's really important to live intentionally.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Well, I think, but there's another factor in business that makes it even more difficult. Um, You're also competing against the workload. Right. Right. It's just, we're busy. I remember back in the, uh, In the 80s, this was sort of the day of the, back in the time of the continuous improvement movement, (laughs) right? Six Sigma, Kaizen and all that. But that was the uh, CQM and the TQI, the continuous quality improvement and total quality management um, really transformed businesses. I mean, really a a phenomenal movement to uh, consistency and quality. But at the time I was PR director at Children's Hospital in Denver, Colorado, in my mid-20s. And at that time, we had hired a big firm to do this whole big CQI, continuous quality improvement initiative throughout the hospital. Part of it was compliance with health regulations and whatever else. And I was early as an employee and there was everybody was in the auditorium and they were rolling out this new initiative. And I remember looking in the back in this row of, of nurses standing along the back wall with their arms folded, chewing their gum, just shaking their head going, this is nonsense. And... One of them raised her hand and and the woman on stage was presenting this whole program that we we're going to do. And this nurse in the back, and we know they do all the work um, said, uh, I don't have time. None of us have time. We don't have time for another initiative. We don't have another, another program. We're up to our elbows in, in diapers and, and blood and whatever else. There's no time for this. And the woman's response has stuck with me to this day because the woman's response was brilliant. And she said, this isn't about doing more. This is about doing what you're already doing differently. Hmm. And I have carried that with me that when we're when organizations, it's daunting. It's daunting when they think about how do we do social media? There's all these different sites. How do we prioritize, right? And the easiest thing to do is nothing hmm. or to do what you've always done because it's overwhelming. And I like the line, it's not about doing more. It's doing what you're already doing differently. And that requires taking a step back and saying what's changed in the world what are the things that we love um, with other companies, and what would it take for us to implement? Because some of the best innovations are actually coming from other industries, and that to me is pretty exciting.
0: Yeah, well, I think one of the one of the things that I mean, obviously, there's a lot of great things that have come out of COVID. Um, you know, the online workspace, the the options for for work at home, and it, it's interesting how we as humans we say we're so busy. We've, we're saving an hour to 90 minutes in commute, but where'd right. that time go? Social media. <laughs> that time, that time oh, filled oh, up yeah. for, for everybody,
1: right? Where, that, that, where, where, where do you live?
0: Uh, Denver, I'm, I'm in here. Oh, you're here, here. You're local.
1: Here. So I'm doing calls with clients all over the world. Even during COVID, I did, I did 87 virtual presentations on a webcam in my basement. Not, not ideal, but I made it work. Sure. Um, but I did seven of those presentations between 1 and 4 a.m.
0: Because so I've Australia's- got clients.
1: Kind of, uh, well, uh, Johannesburg, Mumbai, oh, um, Abu Dhabi, Dubai, and um, Singapore. <clears throat> and so they're on the other side of the planet. For, um, and I'm having Zoom calls with, with people all over, all over the world. Um, for my parents, it's magic. I mean, this is, this, for their generation, they've passed. This would be magic. For you and I, it's Tuesday. Right, right. It is um, what I heard a lot early COVID, uh, when people weren't sure how long, and the people who really freaked out, besides those who had to shut their business down, were the salespeople, hmm. because like I have to be able to face to face. I have to. I was literally training people on how to do Zoom calls, which isn't that complicated—just look at the camera instead of looking at the person's face. Um, but they were they were petrified that they couldn't make the same connection. And here we are two and a half years later and I'm still on group zoom calls and somebody's got palm trees behind them or or the golden gate bridge. And I'm like, it's been two and a half years, dude, it's not funny anymore. Take like, your own time, picture, come up with something or just curate your background. I mean, for those who are looking at the virtual, the video version of this, right? You got your logo behind me, but I've got all my books strategically located next to my head. I've got a picture of my beautiful wife and others it's like the people who are dragging their feet who are still, or I I was on a call this morning with, with a client and there were five of us on the call and one of them had their camera off because they had gone to the gym or something else. And you want to say we all made it right. We all put on a shirt and combed our hair, but it's just, it's used as an excuse. And so I just think we can all up our game. doesn't take that much. Um, I, you have no idea what's happening from the waist down right now. Um, and I have got bare feet and, and some sweatpants on, but the reality is when we're on, we're on with our clients and our customers. And, um, and there's no reason to drag our feet and because we, we know too much. And so I think as you had said before, it's about getting out of the comfort zone because there's some really great opportunities Right? We know in fitness when you don't work a muscle, it atrophies. Same thing.
0: Absolutely. Well, and the brain is absolutely a muscle, and so keep putting that thing to work because it's too important to let it atrophy. Je-
1: Jeopardy every day for the last twenty Ooh. years. That's Jeez. my that's my uh, my daily routine. Keeps me sharp. Actually, de-stresses me. I'm a Jeopardy fanatic. Nice. And um, and that's what I do at the end of every day. Keep nice. those neural pathways sharp, firing.
0: <laughs> All right, David we're going to switch it up real quick
1: it's Yes your sir.
0: favorite most memorable date with your wife
1: most favorite date with my wife I'll tell you something really funny, so um I'm very blessed to uh, have found um love again later in life um my i I was married for twenty years and would love to for that to have last, but it didn't um I've been with my wife for ten years um my my last and only and forever and wonderful. And so she knew I spoke for a living, but she had never seen me speak because I don't speak locally. I mean, it never happens. As they say, you're never a prophet in your own land. So I travel other places. And so, you know, she doesn't need to come see me when I'm speaking in the back room at Perkins Restaurant in Sioux City, Iowa. Um, But the first time she saw me, we got to go on a trip and an international trip. uh, And I spoke on the main stage for the million dollar roundtable. Now, that's like Carnegie Hall for a speaker is through the million dollar roundtable. So the first time she ever heard me speak was before 10,000 insurance professionals um, in the Million Dollar Roundtable in another country. And and it was it was nice because I could impress her a bit. But I looked at her and said, it's not always like this. <laughs> just, just to know. Um, but I've been really fortunate with my wife that we get to do... Um, um, some really wonderful things together, things that my parents would have dreamed of. My mom passed away at 69. Mm. She um, had a stroke and and never owned a passport. And so I get to travel the world, 24 countries so far. And so um, every, I know it sounds really sappy, but every time I get to travel with my wife and see something new together and through her eyes is the best date I could possibly have.
0: Oh, love that. Because she's an angel. I've... I've traveled extensively, and and my wife is just now starting to go with me. And I was able to take her to, to Kenya for our 25th anniversary. And wow! She has a list of other places that she's she'd like to go, and and uh, we're building the, building the business to to make that happen. So it's uh, it's definitely exciting, and love that idea of seeing things through her eyes. But just being able to have that experience together is is so much fun. David, what inspires you?
1: Um, boy, that's a great question. Um, uh, the answer to that has changed. Um, it was, it was chasing a lot of success, which I'm still doing. Um, love my family. Um, but as I'm sort of approaching my third act, as I said, new empty nesters, um, my priorities have changed and it's very much about, uh, as they say, leaving the campsite better than you found it. hmm um, I've started this new legacy initiative. Um, I believe that for those of us who have enjoyed a measure of success, it's important that we send the elevator back down, and 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 lift somebody else up as as others lifted us up. So whether it's mentoring or um, uh, things that outlast you, uh, there's a lot of talk about you know how do we we save up and what do we leave for our children. Um, I want to leave it all while I'm here. Nice. I I want to do good work while I'm here. So that's what inspires me is, um, is, is legacy leaving the, and not about credit. It's not about credit. It's about leaving the campsite better than you found it.
0: Oh, so good. It's such a simple concept. I think I'm not a, I'm not a tree hugger. I'm not a, I'm, I'm not a saved the planet, but, but I, I want to leave the campsite better than I found it. I, I want to, humans are obviously responsible for the planet. And, yep. and and acting like we're not responsible for the planet seems to be the most irresponsible thing that we can do. And so yeah. if each one of us takes responsibility for the planet and I feel the same way about our fellow humans, we we, we we're we responsible for each other and, and we should be helping each other and we should be encouraging each other and 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 lifting each other up. Yeah.
1: <laughs> And we, and we can build on what other people have done. And we're not starting from scratch. Whew. I mean, that's biblical. I mean, that's Deuteronomy right there. <laughs> is that we, we sit in the shade of trees we did not plant. Mm. We build on foundations we did not lay.
0: Mm, right? So good.
1: And so there are, there are others who have done every medical discovery is, is just building on somebody else's work. And, and we, have to, we can't stop.
0: Mm, so good. All right, David, what's, what's your big dream?
1: uh my dream boy that's a good one um my, my dream for so many years was was for my kids and so there's something really comforting that they've all launched in a really successful way um their their challenges are more complex than they were when they when they fell down as a kid and you could give them a root beer popsicle nice um, but i not sure yeah but for me, it's about, uh, it's about doing all the things. I'm really blessed to do all the things I've always wanted to do. I just want to do it all with my wife now. Nice. That's my dream, is to do all the things that I want to do and do it all with her.
0: Nice. All right, David, the audience of entrepreneurs has, has listened to such greatness, your wisdom. But now I want you to leave them with David Averin's words of wisdom. What would you
1: share? Um, I think what I share is, is rewind this and go back to the beginning. And listen to this again. There's because I already shared all the wisdom. <coughs> My wisdom is is um, uh, don't stop kissing your kids. Doesn't matter how old well they are. Like literally, when your kids walk by, you have to attack them. You have to chew on the back of their arms. You have you have to you have to to kiss the back of their neck and chew on their ears, and don't let them squirm away because it's they don't have a choice. <laughs> And your your grandkids need to be covered with your saliva. And I mean, in the, in the most positive, kiss them, squish them, suck on their eyeballs, chew on their toes. That's the best. It is.
0: It is absolutely the best. My, my wife's one of it. We both got certified as coaches in 2018, but she was still working for the state. And one of her goals was to be a stay at home grandma and then of course covid hit and she was a stay at home grandma with a job <laughs> so yeah. she's like we need to change this and and now she's left left the job and she's worked we're working together and and our daughter's working for us so she comes over most days with the kids and so we get to see the grandkids As you go love love that my my one of my aspirations is to to figure out a system where we can be grandparents without having to deal with the kids thing and and I know it's, you know, it's the million dollar idea, like bottling the kid's energy. Once we figure it out, it's <laughs> it's priceless. So
1: yeah, I, I heard a great line. I'll leave you with this one. And it, it, this is not original. It says, the reason why grandparents and the grandchildren get along so well is they both have a common enemy.
0: <laughs> well, there's some very, very big truths in that. Yeah. David, thank right, you so David, much for joining thank me. You.
1: What, a, yeah. what a treat. Yeah. If, how about there? People want to people want to learn more about me. Look me up, <laughs> davidavrin.com. Just search me online everywhere.
0: Absolutely, and we'll include that in the in the show notes. And so make sure everybody cool. can get all that information. If you enjoy the show, please like, subscribe, and leave a review. If you're struggling with stress, feel like life is out of control, run out of time before your to-do list is finished, or we have a gift for you. Stop by AddValueMindset.com and claim your free gift today. In our next episode, Kenneth, you and Robert talk about the power of making an impact as an entrepreneur and the opportunity to transform nations. We really dig into Kenneth's movement, nicknamed Write Your Own Damn Check, and the power of language, especially religious frameworks and marketing. Kenneth is an expert copywriter and really knows how to separate people from their money through telling stories.